Hi, welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and discuss the things that matter to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Conversations for Life. Uh, Today, we're really excited to have guest S.D. Smith, who is the author of the Green Ember series and co-founder of Story Warren. And he's with us to talk about the power of stories and of cultivating holy imagination in our families for the purpose of serving God's kingdom purposes. So, um, Sam, we're so glad to have you. Uh, Would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, your family, what you do? Sure. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm I'm really uh, grateful to be here with you. Um, I'm Sam uh, Smith. I'm married to Gina Smith. We have four kids. We live in West Virginia. Uh, Gina and I both were were raised in West Virginia, which is which is its own state. It's not part of Virginia. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> history buffs out there. We uh, we get a lot of uh, hey, I'm from West Virginia. Oh, really? I have a I have an uncle in Richmond or something. So <laughs> I'm from uh, East Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of uh, yeah. We we get we have a chip on our shoulder from uh, from being not noticed. But uh, but anyway, yeah, from West Virginia, and I, well, I'm a missionary kid as well. I, 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 when I was 12, I, we, my family moved to South Africa, and um, I turned I turned 13 in South Africa. My first birthday there, the day that Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Um, wow. So we lived there when I when I went there. Um, Mandela was in prison, and when we left, he was the president. So we were there during a pretty fascinating time, um, in a lot of ways, but, uh, but we're, we're kind of the hillbilly Appalachian people. That's, that's us. We're sort of country people. Um, and moved back to West Virginia and we love it here. And yeah, my job is I, I write stories for, uh, for children, mostly middle grade adventures. And, uh, I love that. It's a great privilege uh, to do that. And my wife is, is, a like full-time homeschooler. She's, she, we do a, a sort of a university model school here where she's a tutor and she heads up some programs there and does a fantastic job. She's, she's, um, she's brilliant, beautiful, wonderful, uh, partner. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, we have a pretty, uh, simple life in the country of West Virginia in a lot of ways. Well, Sam, just, uh, hearing your story, and I didn't know that about you, that you were raised as a missionary kid in South Africa. Um, I'd be curious just before we, we, we go further, just to hear a little bit, you speak to kind of in, in that experience, you know, kind of being a third culture kid and trying to figure out where you fit in. How much did like reading and stories and your own imagination and that whole experience, how much did that influence you and how much were you just an avid reader as a kid? Maybe not at all. I don't know, but I'd just be curious to hear you hear share that a little bit. Yeah, it's um, surprising for many people to, to learn that I and no, I was not a reader at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I was sort of you know I didn't. Kids don't follow his example, right? Yeah, be, be like me. Uh, I also smoke cigarettes all the time, kid. No, um, <laughs> no. We, uh, what my my own experience was? I didn't really know a lot of uh, boys that that read my peers when I was growing up. So it was that was a kind of. There were a few, but but mostly that was something that girls did that I knew. So I kind of it was such a shame, but I sort of fell into that that uh, well, boys don't read, and and um, so I, I played sports and uh, that kind of thing when I was when I was growing up. So it took I was I was probably in middle late teens before I started reading, and and uh, when I started reading, you know, I never stopped. I loved it. It was it was hugely transformative, and I was always sort of haunted by the. Uh, the uh, power of stories, and and uh, I had some stories read aloud to me when I was young, and that did shape me. I was even shaped by the by the desire and sort of a, a calling as a 
as a storyteller, but, but that I sort of, I don't know if I was running from it or if it was just something that was there all, all the time in the back of my mind and um, finally sort of came full bloom, but pretty late in my life. But, but uh, Well, that, that, that probably is actually encouraging to parents out there who are saying, you know, they're, they're trying to get their kids to read and the kids don't show much interest. Like just because a kid at, at eight or nine or 10 isn't showing much interest at that time doesn't mean that you're not sowing seeds of, of a love for reading when they get to be adults. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and we've tried to really um, shape our own children. Like we've done a lot of like ninjutsu sort of on them uh, trying <laughs> to, to sort of like, well, maybe you can read that when, you know, when you're this or something. You're trying to kind of uh, really invite them into uh, mm. sort of the romance of, of storytelling and reading and, and the adventure it can be. So, so, but, but we, yeah, we have kids that are, some of our kids have been super early rabid, uh, readers and, um, avid, not rabid, avid, <laughs> <laughs> avid, rabid readers, avid, rabid readers, avid, rabid, rabid, rabid readers. Yeah. Right. right. So, cool. but, but, uh, some of, you know, some of them are, have, have been a little bit slower. Um, and so that's been not, uh, that hasn't really worried us a whole lot. It's kind of mm. been, we've tried to be pretty calm about it, I think, and still, still look for ways to connect um, those children. We have one particularly that, that's, that's not as avid of a reader and, and it's just kind of inviting him into it. And he still, he still gets lots of stories. It does a lot of audiobooks. We do a lot of read aloud kind of stuff, but, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's, that's true. And I, I think my experience was a little bit different than some missionary kids because I was a, uh, <clears throat> I think I was a little bit older and I had a, I had a pretty settled identity <clears throat> as right, a, right. I knew where I was from. My parents were, you know, again, this sort of West Virginia thing. We, we have a sort of a strong sense of loyalty to, to <laughs> and people and uh, an identity. So I was pretty rooted in that sense. I never, mm. a lot of missionary kids, you, you know, even when we on the field where we were, you know, a lot of them would sort of adopt uh, the act, the local accent and, that, and that's fine. But we, we, that was not really an option for us. We were just kind of, uh, we were pretty rooted in our own, in our own, uh, mm. Identity and not not as in a way of like uh, aggressively against sort of no we actually I think it enabled us to adopt and to love um, the local sort of customs of that country South Africa which we which yeah. which we like an adoptive home country with an authenticity I think people really responded to so it wasn't like we just forgot about American football and we forgot right. about uh, the things that we loved and it wasn't like that at all we 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 still we remained who we were but we were able to extend out of that like. Uh, a love like so we love rugby and we love cricket and we play so we just kind of embrace but but sort of out of our own identity not sort of um, subsuming right, right. in a false way you know what i mean Does, I don't yeah think. yeah no i i get it yeah well and going back to what you said about being a boy and boys didn't read you know just kind of where you were um i think that's uh also what's neat is that with the books that you're writing they're really drawing a lot of boys into reading you know i've seen from people's response and reviews and uh, boys dressing up, you know, as rabbits with swords. Uh, it's clear that you are working to create something that boys are are invited into and are really excited about. That's that's cool. That's very exciting. Yeah, thank you for. I appreciate that. That that is so true. I think. I think that really is happening. That's a gift that God is um, giving me us uh, through through this this adventure. And I love that. I love hearing. So yeah, because of obviously because of the way that I w- I sort of ignored that that opportunity and that avenue of delight and sort of shaping i i'd love to see it with boys and, and yeah, i've been astonished at the sort of different groups uh, you know a lot of boys that have trouble reading um even uh, mm. boys struggle with dyslexia and girls have um 
found sort of like a starting place in, in these stories, which just completely blows my mind. But uh, I, I love to see, uh, the, you know, there, there is, um, there is so much energy today about noticing the ways in which girls have been left out. And, and I understand and appreciate, um, so much of that. Um, but there's a real, there's a real challenge for boys in, in oh, publishing yeah. and in education. And, and, um, anyway, that, so I love the idea of inviting, um, boys into the adventure of reading in a way that's not sort of like you, you are completely wrong the way you are and you need to be like, you're a problem. Right. To be but I, I like that. I like that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I see with my own, we have three boys and you know, my, our oldest boy is five and you know, he loves stories and he just, he's starting to read and, but mm-hmm. I've, I've seen that he rises to a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. like that is his, he can be totally apathetic about something, but if he feels like there is some quest to be won, some challenge to be met, something to be overcome, then he just will do it mm-hmm. on his own accord. He's just 100% all for it. So that's that's the sort of thing that we try to find ways to in- incorporate that that desire, that urging, that inner urging that he has. Yeah, I love that. That's so. That is 100% on. I think for for boys in general, and I I, I love. I love that. I love being a part of in any way to be hospitable or generous to any kids is such a privilege and such a pleasure. And, and that's one avenue or aspect of, of the work I'm getting to do that, that I feel, I uh, feel a lot of delight in. Yeah. So, you know, your, your, your stories um, are, are great. And of course you, you, you speak from your perspective of your faith as a believer, but at the same time, your stories are not overtly, you know, just preaching, uh, Christian, you know, teachings. It's not sort of trying to do a bait and switch kind of thing. They're, they're authentic, great stories for anyone to read. And, and I think, you know, that's so much of Western, you know, civilization, our culture, arts, you know, it, it, the, the gospel, our biblical faith brings up all this kind of creative energy that produces great stories to read on their own right. And, and I think, of course, those, those attached to the larger story of who God is and the story of, of the cosmos that, that he is weaving in and through uh, redemptive history, so I'd love to hear you speak a little bit as your as your work as a creator, as someone who creates stories out of nothing, essentially, right? Um, how does that draw you more deeply into the heart of who God is? How does that, and then, and then too, like, what is your goal in terms of, you know, as you see people reading your stories, what what is your vision for what you want to see that do in their lives? Mm. Well, I, those are easy questions, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> no problem. And just answer it in ten seconds or less. Right. Uh, no, I, I think uh, you're right. I think we have an incredible inheritance, inheritance um, as Christians with the arts and with literature. That um, I think uh, that a lot of us feel a little bit um, is is not always being served super well in our, in our present era. We, we, we can feel that way. I think with some justification, I, I don't love to spend a huge amount of time lamenting, um, cheesy Christian fiction or cheesy Christian movies <laughs> or something. Right. I just feel like it's so much easier to, um, it's a lot easier to jump on Facebook and make fun of the latest Christian movie. It's like what's super hard is making a movie. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not. I'm sympathetic with creators in that sense, and I'm trying Absolutely. to be uh, to be much less of a of a. I don't want to be a snob. I don't. I think the world needs 
far fewer sneering snobs and more creators, more, more curators. And, and that's what, so that's what I want to be. I want to be a, a creator and a curator. And I think with the way I work with StoryWorn is, is, is a work of curation. And, I, and my, my work as a, an author is, is a work of, of creation or sub-creation, as Tolkien said. And, and uh, yeah, I think there's sort of, it's powerful. I think stories shape us and they shape our affections in a way that, that nothing else does quite the same way. So I believe in the power of stories um, profoundly, deeply. I have a deep conviction about that. I, I don't, however, see stories, as I think you alluded to, as as merely a vehicle to communicate truth. I, I think truth is uh, really powerful, and I, be, I believe in propositional truth and the importance of even doctrine and theology, which a lot of artists are kind of poo-poo, and I think that's such a shame. Um, right. And I think yeah. it's a sad thing because it's it's that is such a gift and and I think a lot of doctrine is is shorthand for stories and and I think what happens in the Bible so much is you know we have so many narratives and and uh, I think what we people want to use narrative as a way to escape from propositions but I think narratives are actually um, things that make sense of propositions. Uh, I have a friend Diana Herrer, who's just really brilliant and she she pointed out that sort of the the, the, the Ten Commandments and the Law followed this narrative, uh, this, this story that happened that where God, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, he says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. And so he's this right. God who conquered this great power and he's he brought you out of Egypt. That's who you are. And because of who you are, here's what you should do. And, and the gospels are similar. You know, we don't, the gospels have lots of propositions, lots of commands, um, right. obviously, but you know, people also often get hung up on the hard parts of, of, um, St. Paul or, uh, the epistles, but 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 um, it, those things are in context of a story—the story of the resurrection. You are the people of the we're the people of the resurrection. And so I think it's just so so profoundly powerful to be to know our identity. And I I, I say this quote all the time, but it's an Alistair McIntyre quote. Who's and he says I think I'll get it close to right. He says uh, I cannot answer the question. Um, what am I to do if I don't answer the prior question of what story or stories am I a part? And and I just feel like that's so profoundly true. But given all that, I don't write stories um, as a as a vehicle or as a way to communicate, or, or like you said, a bait and switch, a way to sneak in truth. As be, partly because I value truth so much, not because I, I not right. because the, the easy accusation would be like, oh, you're not taking the Bible seriously, or you're not taking truth uh, seriously. And I just think that's so false. And um, Tolkien talked about his suspicion of allegory and how that uh, wise readers can sniff out. <laughs> Allegory, and 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 he he said, I cordially loathe or cordially dislike allegory and all its manifestations because it <laughs> resides in the purposeful domination of the reader by the author, instead of the. And he he says we 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 confuse allegory with application, and an application is you know there are so many applications implications from from I think good authentic uh, storytelling that are valuable, um, but they but that's different than than. Um, than just a, just an allegory, so I think I think I want to write stuff that that um, resonates with reality. That has again, as Tolkien says, this sort of the reality with a capital R flowing through um, that 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 those these stories that that bubble up from the the leaf mold of our minds that they that they have power to to um, resonate to harmonize with powerful truths, but that they don't limit truths. I think when you tell a story, you don't lose truth; you 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 gain meaning. Mm. And uh, and I think that's so. It's addition without subtraction, and I, and I feel like that's so so powerful um, when you when you're telling true stories. And I'll I will 
in this long, long, um, uh, boring uh, <laughs> explanation. But, but just quoting, I have another friend named Heidi Johnson. She, she says that um, those the best stories informed by the Bible. She's like a, she's a Bible scholar, brilliant, from Northern Ireland. And she says um, that the best sort of biblically informed stories are not an escape from reality. They're an escape into reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that yeah. with all my heart. Yeah, oh, lovely. And I would add, too, I think um, while propositional truth do teach us and those are necessary, I think that um, stories actually do teach us truth, not in a false or a contrived way, but do teach us truth even more powerfully because they really connect with our emotions. They, I think they connect with our whole being, not just like our mind, um, our ability to you know think logically, but it just it connects with all of who we are, all of how God created us to be. So, yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. yeah, well, um, also I wanted to just, uh, for listeners, if you guys haven't heard of Story Warren before, it's a great blog that's uh, for parents, especially uh, talking about imagination, how that serves, uh, how it serves us in God's kingdom. So um, uh, Sam Smith actually helped start that and... Um, there's a lot of people involved with that now, but I really recommend um, checking that out. We'll have that. We'll have links and other things on our website. But I just wanted to to have you talk about this a little bit, Sam. Um, you know, you do talk a lot about holy imagination, and I just wanted to have you talk a little about what that means and why do we want to cultivate that. Well, I, I think that that's a uh, yeah. And Story Warren's wonderful. StoryWarren.com is is a fantastic resource, and we have so many gifted people, including Kathleen, um, who contribute there and and write wonderful things that I think are worth sharing. It's a partly a place uh, for encouragement and inspiration, but I think that the heart of it is about fostering holy imagination in children, and that can be I think that's mostly with parents, but yeah, it can be anybody who kind of loves kids and has kids in their lives. Yeah. Um, but holy imagination, why holy imagination? And I feel like that, that, so I think imagination is, is a capacity Clay Clarkson wrote about this at Storyhorn at one point. He talked about how, you know, we often say things like, oh, this is my creative kid or my imaginative kid. This is my kid with imagination. And the implication is my other kids don't have imagination. And while I'm not, <laughs> about, uh, I'm not too worried about like people having different gifts. And so I think that's awesome. But I, but I do think in that, in this particular one, uh, an imagination is a capacity. It's something that you have that can be fostered, it can be grown, but it's not, um, it's not uh, morally upright to, to be imaginative. I think uh, most of our sins are, are, you know, come in through the gateway of the imagination. And certainly for me, and I think you do probably for most of us, that's where, because that's where we love and believe and, and, um, and uh, dream of things. And so I think, um, the, so the imagination, like the intellect, is a capacity that will serve any master. Um, it can be uh, diabolical. It can be, or it can be doxological, and I think it, it can serve uh, uh, God, Satan, or self. And so I don't, I don't think just having an imagination is great. You know, it's not that, that's it's like our other gifts. It's like other powers. It's um, it's like uh, things that we we receive. If you're if you're brilliant, I mean, there's no no mistaking that some of the greatest atrocities in the history of the world were born out of the intellects or imaginations of, of uh, very brilliant, very wicked men. And, uh, and so I don't think, so, so holy imagination is, is different. So it's, it's an opportunity. It's a, it's an acknowledgement that sort of our, our imaginations are, are not, 
are are sort of um, neutral in a sense, in that they're they're um, they're an opportunity, they're a capacity that can go um, either way in a lot of things. So so it's a it's a it's a defining point. It comes up with with storytelling a lot. You know, you can just say like, well, it's great that kids are reading. Well, probably, <laughs> probably, maybe. Yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen the local you know uh, young adult section of the bookstore? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and and I, and I don't want to be a big like uh, you know. Uh, define everything by what uh, I'm against, but uh, but I, I do think that yeah, that this is a this is a powerful. It's my alarm uh, going off, our bird alarm. I don't know if that's coming through. Oh, I was about to say, wow, it sounds like you live in Eden. It sounds very yeah. <laughs> Um So bird yeah, outside the window chirping. That's right. This is this is almost heaven here in West Virginia. <laughs> But yeah, so so I think that holy imagination is an important sort of modifier, the the holy part, just to to say that that's what we're going for. We're going for an imagination that's in submission to and delight in God and uh, His kingdom, and I think fostering that is important and powerful. And I think just fostering the capacity of imagination is valuable. But it's kind of like saying knowledge is power. Yeah, knowledge is power. It's power to do great harm, uh, maybe. Um, and I think if, if we don't have our sort of properly ordered affections and loves, um, which we all don't sort of as a basis, and I think if we're not training ourselves to that. So I just wanted to be on the team of like acknowledging that in, a, in a, um, an intentional way and, and to make us stop and think about that a little bit. So we're going to be coming out of time here pretty quickly, but I actually have one more question for you. I'd love to ask if that's okay. True. Okay, Kathleen, real quick. Yeah. It's not on the list. It's not, you know, but um, it's just it's something that I think a lot of uh, a lot of Americans wrestle with, both as adults and then as parents, which is, you know, we, we talk about imagination. And I think a lot of folks are acknowledging that while, you know, technology has been a great gift for imagination, we can do all kinds of things like audiobooks. I know we were talking earlier about, you know, how, you know, my, my kids, they, they, they get to listen to audible audiobooks when they go to bed at night, you know, because it's so easy to do that now. And that's a, a beautiful gift of technology to do that. And there's so many other things that we can do now that help stimulate imagination and help creators produce things that are beautiful artistically and stir the imagination. At the same time, though, I think more than ever before, which may be a cliche, but uh, more than ever before, it's so easy to stifle our imaginations by constantly distracting ourselves to death. You know, and, and so I'd be curious for you as an adult and as a creator and then also as a parent, how do you help, you know, sort of protect the imagination from being stifled by so much distraction and so much, you know, that's just out there? Mm. That's a good question. I have no idea. I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so, so, so Patrick is a parent, you know, like you as an author, of course, you love reading and you, you want people to read. So for your own, you know, you only take with your own kids. So how do you balance, you know, trying to channel them towards healthy behaviors like reading or, or time to just sort of be even be quiet and shut out the noise, but also recognize that, you know, um, we live in an age that that's just going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic to that, to that question and, and uh, have thought a fair amount about it. And, and I, I think they, you know, I, I, in fact, I was, um, I was giving a talk on this 
topic, like sort of the habits of an imaginative home. Um, mm-hmm. I'd give that talk every once in a while. And when, and I, what was happening is I had to turn in the, like the subject, uh, the title of some talks I was going to give, you know, months ahead. And I wrote that down and I sent it in and then it sort of like that talk got closer and closer. I was like, I'm actually going to have to write this talk and to figure out what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I started to panic. Like, I have no idea. I don't know what to say. So I actually um, sort of emailed, uh, got in touch with a lot of people I really respect. Um, a lot of homeschool moms were included in that group about this sort of things. Like, how do you foster holy imagination at home? Like, what do you, what are your, what are your habits? And, and got back a lot of good feedback and, and universal among those things, which you've already alluded to was, was, it was a, uh, an active, aggressive limitation of screen time. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's just, that's, uh, that's, we know about that from our sort of our intuition, but we, there's, there is, um, there are mountains of, of evidence that are that are backing up that intuition that that, that that's very harmful uh, to mm-hmm. to have sort of unlimited and 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 um, unfettered sort of, access to the well, sure, and, and just even just the amount of time. So so aggressive limiting of screen time was was a powerful thing. Um, I, I like to think about um, setting or oh, read aloud was obviously a big one. You know, reading aloud together was a really really big factor for a lot of these families, and, and it certainly is for us too. Uh, but it's not something we've always done. Not something that comes super easy to us. Uh, we're not. We don't have this sort of idyllic you know, home life. Or <laughs> it's beautiful. You know, we're we're like everybody else. So that. But that's a really. That was a really powerful one too. Something that I think is really is is a really big one is. Yeah, well, okay. Another another huge one is is um, uh, uh, setting aside time for unscripted play, like for un, uh, mm-hmm. making sure that people have the opportunity to be bored, and even just as a sort of like a creative, uh, so called creative person. You know, I think everybody's creative in different ways, now, so I kind of hate all these um, sort of elitist terms. Mm-hmm. That, um, uh, right. Um, but but I but there is something to say for 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 like a, a, a so called creative vocation to. You know the power of boredom is so is so profound. The, the mm-hmm. importance of boredom, the importance of not having something to do, so that you know your mind comes alive in a way that's impossible to sort of replicate in any other way. I think when you're bored. So unscripted play that was a huge part of my life, my my mm-hmm. child. Partly because we were kind of poor and um, <laughs> in the woods, and so it was like unscripted play was was just a powerfully shaping uh, part of my life, including just like early storytelling, which I then called like playing, you know, or pretending to be things. But I was always making, I was always world building. Just I did just didn't know it. Um, so that's just that's profoundly powerful. Um, I also think that this is a cool. I think it's a cool idea to try to like. Um, set traps for your kids. I, I think this is really powerful. Um, a, a reading trap, you know, if you've got a window seat or some kind of nice, post, like um. something like make a, like this trap for them, uh, set it up, uh, get the, you know, bring out the sugar, bring out the cookies, you know, put <laughs> set up a thing and say, this is where, you know, we're doing a lot of times, you know, we do this kind of stuff. A lot of moms do this, I think with morning, like a morning time, which has just been really powerful for us, this sort of morning routine and liturgy that we sort of go through. But, but I just, just, uh, just have a trap, um, with, with, um, I knew your mind probably is going to different, different things. We do a lot with musical instruments, just to have the musical instruments there available, ready to go. It's like, you know, we love to do these things. It's just kind of initiation, like getting into them. I mean, reading is so, so pleasurable. You just kind of have to bait the trap. And once they're in, they're hooked, you know, it's, it's <laughs> predictive than drugs, you know, to be, to be a, a reader. Cause it is so good. And I think um, fostering imagination at home, fostering a holy imagination at home uh, is, is a, 
is a, I think I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to use psyops and, you know, covert uh, army moves <laughs> to, to, to try to trick them into in, get, getting into it to, to get in. Because I think once, once they're, once you, once you're exposed to it, I think it's, it's so, prof- so profound, so powerful. So I don't know, those are, so those are a few things, a few thoughts just off the sort of off the cuff. Yeah. I think, you know, like kind of spreading that feast in front of them, mm. a phrase that people use a lot. And I think yeah. that with our own kids trying to see, give them something so good that they prefer that, you know, vacation by the sea rather than playing in the garbage dump. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and as a final application there, I mean, how much do adults need to hear that too, right? We need to do it for ourselves as well. Um, Not me. I've got it all together, but I'm perfect. (laughs) Right. You're perfect. You got it down. You guys Um, sound you need that pretty bad. Well, hey, Sam, thanks so much for, for being on our podcast. And um, just for our listeners out there, we will um, we'll, we'll be offering uh, two free copies of, of, of his first uh, work. And so if you go onto our Facebook page and you like us on Facebook or you leave a comment on our website, um, you'll be entered into a drawing to, to get a free copy of his of the, of, uh, the green ember sent out to you. And, um, we, we thank you so much again, Sam, for being on and, uh, you've been a great guest and, uh, yeah, you take care. Have a good day. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on you guys. Uh, enjoyed it very much. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. If you'd like to find out more information or get additional resources, please visit our website at www.crosslifetoday.org. Until next time, take care and God bless.